A house built on a rock. Isn't that Jesus' simple parable? And this is like another children's story. We heard, we heard one. It's like we're hearing another one. A house built upon a rock. That's why we have a picture of a lighthouse there. House built on a rock will stand. What about a house built on sand? The flood comes. So we have the Bible, and anyone can read it. I don't see security guards at the bookstore barring people away from the Bible. There's one in practically every home in America, I believe, every library, every hotel and motel, it seems. You open up the dresser drawer. It's there. Anyone can read it. Anyone can turn on the television. There's all kinds of gospel messages. You can hear the Bible. But what does it mean? That's the thing. We, we could talk about that. We all know what it says, or we can, if we take the effort. But what, what, what does it mean? The different denominations have different views. We, we could talk about that for years, I think. Maybe even argue about it. And, and how do we know what, what the Bible means? Right? There's an easier way. Because Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us what it means. Look at Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. So Jesus calls it his word. There have been many prophets over the centuries. You can read about them in the Old Testament, even the New Testament. Delivering what they believed was God's word. None of, the, none of the prophets before or since ever said, this is my word I'm giving to you. So who is this Jesus? Yes, he's a prophet. But he, he's more than a prophet. He's the Christ. And he's a son of God. So in the same chapter, Matthew 7, let's look at verse 28. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. Jesus preached with authority, like no one else, before or since, no one ever taught with the authority that Christ has. And at the same time, Jesus taught a simple gospel. It's the devil that wants to make it complicated, some men. But Jesus' word is simple. If I went to a first grade class here, and I want to teach them a story, the same story, not watering it down, the same story about the, the wise man who built his house on a rock, the foolish man that built his house on the sand, and what happened to it. Could the six-year-olds understand it? But a lot of Americans have come to believe that the gospel is complicated. That they think that only there's a few elite, educated men somewhere. Only they can master it. But if that's true, then how can Jesus ex expect us to build our life upon it? What Jesus actually said, if you look at John 8, verse 31... He said this to the Jews that believed on him. 
If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So this is something that anyone can understand. And you can choose to build your life upon it. And if you make that choice, God's not going to force you into it. But if you choose to base your life upon the truth of Jesus Christ and continue in this truth, Jesus promises it will set you free. It's It's a demonic deception to try to replace a lofty education with a personal relationship with God. I mean, the truth is that you can know, you can know what the Bible means if you apply yourself. I mean, we all have different gifts and abilities, physical and spiritual. We're all different kinds of gifts. God made us different. That's great. There's a variety in the church. There's one thing that we can all do, and we, we can all understand the gospel, and because you can understand it, you're responsible for it. And it's important because Jesus said, there's a storm coming. Actually, there's many storms coming, many storms of life. And will your house stand? And there are people that hear God's word and they believe it and they say, this is true. This is from God. There's no denying the truth of the gospel. It's written in here too. And it's written in all of creation for us to see. So there's no denying the scripture is true. And there's people that confess that. And they say they believe it and they make the Bible their firm foundation. But at some point, maybe they get persecuted. Maybe people make fun of them for being a Christian. Others just get lazy. And they continue to build, but not on God's word. And you could think of them as a person that had a nice, solid house on rock founded upon a rock, but then they're building onto it these additions that they're making, maybe that they don't even really need, and the foundation is on sand. And what happens when a storm comes? It's important to build wisely. So in the time we have left, I'd like to go into the Old Testament. When Jesus preached, it was by necessity in the backdrop of Jewish culture. So there's some things to look at and some things to learn about Jewish culture, but none of it's complicated. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. So who's this precious cornerstone? Do we think we know or can we know? Because Jesus identified himself as the rock. This is something we can know. But there's a verse because of the cultural difference. We have to look into it. It's the last part of the verse where it says, He that believeth shall not make haste. I mean, what does that mean, make haste? And it's important to know that languages, one language doesn't always translate exactly into another language. So you can have 
translations that are different, and they can both be correct. So the King James says, He that believeth shall not make haste. The ESV we have in the pews is similar. And it means a kind of haste that somebody experiences when he's emotional. You ever see anyone on a game show, they think they might be willing, about to win a big amount of money and they just can't <laughs> contain themselves. And there's some movement there. Or if they actually win, they might get so excited they're jumping for joy, right? But, but there's other kinds of movement associated with emotion. Here it's fear. Like if you're, you have anxiety or worry or, or you're afraid for your life. I'd like to read the New Living Translation. There we go. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. And Jesus is that cornerstone. He's safe to build your life on. You can build your family on Jesus. We can build our church on Christ. And we don't have to be shaken with fear when bad things happen out into the, in the world. He's a sure foundation we can trust. And someone else might have a different view. He might think he's too educated to believe that. But when he fulfills hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, when he can show me that he was born of a virgin, when he does miracle after miracle, including raising people from the dead, and then when he allows himself to be crucified and by his own power comes back from the dead, then I might listen to that person. But we know there's only one Christ. Jesus fulfilled all of those things. And that therefore he's the one that is worthy to tell us what, what this scripture means. And it's important to know this because Jesus said, and the apostles also in the Old Testament, they warned that as we got closer to the end of days, that there'd be more and more, more, and more false teachers and false prophets, and there'd be people scoffing and mocking the gospel and everything holy. And that's where we are today. And the prophet Isaiah gives us a foreshadowing of this because they mocked him. If you look at Isaiah 28, verse 14. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule his people, which is in Jerusalem. So he was surrounded by people that mocked him, laughed at him, made fun of God's word. And not all scholars are like this, but many of them, and it seems like perhaps more and more, how do American scholars today treat God's word? Do they, do they laugh at us, make fun of us? And if you found your life upon Jesus and they, they make fun of you, will you, will you let that discourage you? Will it start to change your mind? Will you start 
building on sand again? The scoffers have always mocked God's people. It's, it's a biblical principle. I mean, we could have a Bible study in itself on this principle, that the scoffers mock God. However, it doesn't end there. God sees to it, because God's sovereign over all. The scoffers mock God's people, but they end up mocking themselves. And oftentimes they dishonor their own bodies. And we can see it here. Isaiah 28, verse 7. It's not real pleasant. I'm going to read it anyway. It's in God's word. Isaiah 28, 7. Talking about the mockers. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink. They are out of the way. The priests and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. And God had put these men in in place in Israel to be spiritual leaders and protect God's people and to keep them safe and lead them. But instead they became full of pride because of their position and they, they mocked the prophet Isaiah And they enjoyed themselves mocking Isaiah. They enjoyed themselves so much that they could say they had a party, invited all their false teacher and false prophet friends, and they drank so much that they vomited. And that's an ugly image. But God's telling them, this is how your false teaching, that's how ugly it looks to me. And I called you and put you in place to take care of my people. I love my people. Come back to God's word. You're not as smart as you think you are. And they were just vomiting up lies. Again, I apologize for the ugliness. And what the false prophets actually were teaching was a complicated mess, almost impossible to understand. And let's compare that to Isaiah's teaching, which is simple. And the foundation of our lives is simple in the Christian faith. And God shows us how to build on it. So it can be something large and impressive. We don't want to be proud over it. But we start small and God can build something large and and significant and beautiful in our lives. A bit at a time, a piece at a time. Isaiah 28.9 Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them them that are weaned from the milk that are drawn from the breast. So how old are these people that are just weaned? What's that, a (laughs) three-year-old? Maybe it was slightly different in the ancient world. So in other words, he can teach the most simple person. He can teach people like you and me. That's who will teach knowledge and make to understand doctrine. The little people. But he goes on in verse 10. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. And he goes on. And they mocked him.
And they made fun of this because to them it sounded like rambling. It sounded like baby talk or babble. And it could have been to them sounding like a nursery rhyme or something. But let's look into it. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. I'm going to do my best with the pronouncing it. Zav latzav. Zav latzav. Gav lakav. Gav lakav. And the, the mockers were repeating Isaiah. And you have to remember, they're not just a little bit drunk, they're a lot drunk. And you could say they're, they're stammering or slurring their words. And, and they're trying to say, this is what Isaiah is doing. That he's being foolish, that his teaching is babyish, that there's no scholarly merit to it. So they're, they're repeating some of the things that they, they heard Isaiah say. And often the Old Testament is a mirror and Isaiah just, all he had to do was hold up God's word and say, you're what you accuse me of. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Verse 11 Isaiah 28:11 For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. So it sounded to them that they had made themselves in op- opposition to God, it sounded to them like a bunch of babbling. But just a, a person, it can be anyone. You can be uneducated. People can say, "Oh, you have a learning disability." Or, you can say, oh, you have a low IQ or, or whatever they, they say about a person. If you accept Christ as a little child and come to him, then you can start to understand things that the most lofty scholars can never know. And it's a miracle from God. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2? I won't, I won't read it. But in Acts chapter 2, they had a humble little prayer meeting. Nothing fancy. Shortly after Jesus had risen from the dead. But the Holy Spirit was poured out. And there was a miracle where they began to speak in tongues. In other words, there were onlookers from people from all over the known world. And they heard them praising God in their own language. But do you remember at the same time there were scoffers and mockers and all they heard was babbling and they actually said these people must be drunk. What a bunch of foolishness. Just babbling like that. But just a little child who came to Jesus in faith he could understand it. And this is how God teaches us simple things. Simple things to us. After you make Jesus Christ your Lord. After receive the Holy Spirit, it's simple for us. And he teaches us a little bit at a time, line upon line, line upon line. Spurgeon wrote, it's an excellent thing that the gospel is taught to us by degrees. It's not forced upon men's minds all at once, but it comes thus, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. God does not flash 
the everlasting daylight on weak eyes and one blaze of glory. But there is at first a dim dawn and the soft incoming of a tender light for tender eyes. And so it is by degrees we see. That's how preachers used to preach hundred something years ago. <laughs> Amen. A little bit at a time. And he gives us what we can receive and what we can understand. I mean, a starving man, do you, do you give him a huge steak dinner? Or you give him some soup to start with and may, maybe a little bread or something. A little at a time. God gives us what we are able to receive, so we're responsible for that. And that's why it's important to be consistent in our Bible devotions. I mean, a man who gets saved, but then he just comes to church on Christmas and Easter and reads his Bible once in a blue moon, is he going to get very far? But God wants to teach us something. He wants to take us places. He wants to change our lives. I mean, that story I taught, maybe the markers would call it another children's story. And that's fine. About the caterpillar making a chrysalis for itself and turning into a butterfly, a worm. Turning into something beautiful that can fly and even be taken to other continents by the wind. Being taken over the ocean sometimes. I mean, God wants to make us into something beautiful. He wants to change our lives, take us places. And for one, I want it. Because I want to be a better man. Want to be a better husband and father and a better pastor. I don't want to stay where I am. I want our church to grow. And more than people in the door, I want us to grow spiritually and be able to reach out to our communities and the whole nation and to send missionaries to the end of the earth again. But we have to be faithful. And here's something powerful. Once you learn how to study the Bible, who can stop you then? Can anything in the world stop you after you learn to find treasures in the Bible? And what if you choose to stop building your life on it? Once God changes you, then he can use you to change the world one person at a time. And that's my vision, but I don't just think it's an empty vision. We've taken the few steps together. And God's taking us somewhere. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line and the righteous to the plummet, and the hail shall sweep over the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. So, there's a flood coming. There's bad times that are coming to our nation and the world. I don't know the exact schedule. I don't know exactly what will happen. But there's a flood coming that will sweep away the refuge of lies. In other words, the false gospel or whatever lies people have built upon other than the gospel. And it will be a bad day for a lot of people when that happens. People that their foundation isn't on Christ. But our God is a God of love. He's not doing it to be mean. 
A lot of the things I see in ministry, really tough to see. For people's spiritual house getting knocked down by the flood. Why does God let it happen? Because He doesn't just do that. He also prepares us if we're willing. And then when the person's house gets knocked down, if we prepare ahead of time, we can be there to help them. And that's the time they'll receive Christ. That's the time they'll make the decision to start building thereon. But here's the thing. I have to start building now, consistently, wisely, in order to be ready then. So it's a good thing. It's actually good comes out of it. People get saved and delivered and, and changed into something beautiful. God takes them to a beautiful place in Jesus' name. So if you believe it, you have one more chance to vocalize it before we leave this place. It's the solid rock. 526. The solid rock. <laughs> 